This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Real Estate Is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. I'm Omid Malikan. I'm the author of uh, a book, The Story of the Blockchain, A Beginner's Guide to the Technology That Nobody Understands. And what I love about real estate is that if you do it right, it gives you passive income to pursue less profitable ventures like writing a book. Unless you've been living under a rock for the past year, blockchain is everywhere. Everywhere you go, everyone you talk to, even your friend that's not a tech guru, seems to talk about blockchain or Bitcoin. On the other hand, real estate is the largest industry in the country, and it's the most common topic, obviously, on our show. But what happens when you want to see those two worlds collide? Coming up, you'll hear from the author of The Story of the Blockchain, A Beginner's Guide to the Technology That Nobody Understands, to get his perspectives on the applications to real estate of the blockchain and the possibilities. From New York City, you're listening to Real Estate Is Your Business, powered by Preview, a smart online real estate brokerage providing expert advice without the high fees. With Thomas Kutzman and Scott Pollock. Omid, thanks for joining us today. This is uh, our first uh, you know, delve into the topic of, of blockchain, so uh, you know, we're happy for you to be here. And I'm excited to be here. And uh, when you know, the title of, of your book is very telling because it's the, you know, the story of blockchain, um, you know, a lot of our listeners are familiar with the concept, but you, know, you have a history of explaining things very well and very succinctly. How would you describe blockchain? If I have to do it in one sentence, then a blockchain is just a technology that gives digital items physical properties. The most important one being that a digital item can still only exist in one place at any given moment in time. Understood. And there, over the past year, blockchain is nothing new, but over the past year, it's really grown in prominence where, you know, the, you know, average person is talking about it around the dinner table uh, versus just the pure you know, technology you know, gurus. Um, why do you think it's become so prominent in the past year? I think the main reason what happened in the past year is because the price of the crypto coins or tokens that the big public blockchains that you've probably heard of, like Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, they all exploded in value last year. So a lot of that attention and hype just came from the investment potential. Um, but the other side of it is more and more industries, including real estate, have been for years now looking at possible applications of the technology, and a lot of which has nothing to do with Bitcoin or money even. Um, but last year was the first year that some big companies finally really took the plunge or at least took the step of joining a consortium that's going to take the plunge. And from an industry perspective, that brought a lot of attention and hype. So, you know, you mentioned Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies, uh, you know, just to clarify. So those are applications of blockchain. Yes. And those are the ones that we see mostly in the news every day. That's right. But what you're saying is that there's many other applications that banks and other institutions, real estate industry included, are starting to look at that leverages that 
underlying property of digital assets being only available in one place. Right. How does that work exactly? And how will that be as revolutionary as everyone seems to think it will be? Um, to see how it would work, I'm actually going to take a step back and talk about what the world was like before we had this technology. Before even we had the internet. Um, if you remember, say, the music business, it used to be that as a consumer of the product, you had to go and buy some physical device like a vinyl record or a CD. And that had a lot of annoyances and restrictions, like you had to go and buy the thing, you could lose it or damage it, then you have to buy it again. If you wanted to share it, you had to physically give it to someone. Um, but those restrictions are what made the music and recording industry a highly profitable industry. So around the turn of the millennium, we were introduced to digital music, first in the form of MP3 files. And for consumers, this was great because all the restrictions were obliterated. But for the industry, it was terrible because digital items are infinitely replicable. And it's very hard to make base a business model on something that one person can buy, make a million copies, put it on Napster or whatever. These two realities have kind of changed or destroyed a lot of different industries beyond just music. And until blockchain technology came around, it seemed like they were irreconcilable. Like you could have the convenience of digital music or getting your news on the internet or digital streaming video. Um, but the convenience does not lend itself well to a business model. So we have a lot of terrible business models like streaming where you just pay 10 bucks a month for Spotify, which does not make the musicians a lot of money or news websites where you have to deal with many terrible ads and then you have to go install a bad an ad blocker and so forth and so on. So the great breakthrough of blockchain technology is that you can now have the convenience of digital transactions. So you can have a song. Let's say we have a hypothetical blockchain for access to music. You can buy a song instantaneously, listen to it right away. If you want to send it to your friend, they could listen to it right away. But the beauty of it is that once you send it to your friend, you don't have it anymore, which is good for the industry now because it gives them a business model where they can monetize sales again. And music is just one application of this guy. You actually made a good point that to think about Bitcoin is one application. Music could be another application. Um, really anything that could benefit from having the convenience of instantaneous digital transactions, but still the value preservation of physical form could benefit from being ported over into some kind of a blockchain. And there's, there's also the point too, of that there's, there's a transparency to it. It's, it's publicly visible. Right. You know, and like when you, you know, look at the application of real estate, the most common one is, you know, title transfer, mm -hmm. right? That was, you know, it's still very archaic, mm -hmm. you know, setup. Um, how do you envision, you know, that first introduction to like something like real estate and title? So the reason why blockchains can achieve what they do, like you said, is one, they're very transparent because you can track every transaction. Say in the case of the Bitcoin blockchain, you can track every transaction that's ever happened on a website. So that helps build trust. The way you know that Someone sending you a Bitcoin actually owns that Bitcoin, as you can look and see where that Bitcoin came from. Um, the other thing is blockchains are also distributed, meaning instead of having 
one database where copies of all the information are kept in one place where it's easier to lose damage or corrupt that information there are many thousands of copies of the same database kept all over the world and updated continuously so and the real estate example is a very apt one because actually the real estate title tracking model is a good starting point for thinking about how blockchains work because in real estate we've always had this idea that the way you verify true ownership and the integrity of ownership is by keeping a chain of transactions so you want to buy a piece of land you can go look up who owns it who they buy it from who that person buy it from who had a mortgage so forth and so on um the difference though and this is where blockchain then becomes a technology that could really upgrade even title ownership is uh like your local county clerk's office is one it's a local store of information meaning the records are usually kept in one place, which does become problematic in the aftermath of things like uh, the hurricane in Puerto Rico, where there were places where the land records were wiped out and there were no backups kept anywhere. So it was hard to prove who owned what. So a blockchain is distributed. You keep copies everywhere or many places. And then the other thing is a blockchain, like the Bitcoin one, is purely decentralized as opposed to your local clerk's office, which is completely centralized, meaning one place, one person, one authority validates transactions. And as we know from other walks of life, when things are centralized, they tend to be slow, inefficient, and expensive. And also they're more corruptible, which is thankfully not that big of a problem, say, here in America. But in a lot of third world countries, this is a real problem where some malicious actor will just go and bribe someone who works in the clerk's office to illegally transfer a title in their name, or they'll just submit a forged transaction. And then the crook takes the land, sells it. By the time the actual owner finds out that their land has been sold out from under them, it's too late. So with the blockchain, because it's distributed and decentralized, you really improve this process of preserving the integrity of ownership um, and also constantly update, updating based on the latest transactions. So it makes a lot of sense, and it's definitely interesting, but it, it strikes me as like trying to describe what the internet will be in 1993, where there's some really cool applications that we can foresee, but they're probably just scratching the surface, right? So the idea of saying we can put records for title in an indelible distributed database so that no one can ever steal your land out from under you interesting for sure. But I feel like when you read the news about blockchain, you see the hype about it. It's 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 described on on par with this is going to change the world like the internet was going to change the world in the, the mid 90s. Can you help us understand a little bit more about how, you know, what you describe with title gets to that future maybe 10 years from now or 20 years from now where blockchain has truly revolutionized things real estate and otherwise. It's a great question and the hype cycle is definitely leading the actual development cycle by years probably which is usually the case i think when it comes to with brand new technologies um as to the process of getting there some of the big questions that are going to have to answer is that like any other technology a, a blockchain technology for any application whether it's music or land titles it exists on a sort of spectrum like there are varying degrees of how much you can apply it. 
So in the case of a blockchain like the one for Bitcoin, which is the first one, it is fully decentralized. Um, there's really nobody in control. And just to clarify, so the when we say decentralized, these exist on computers around the world. Yes. And these are the people who are mining the, the tokens or the Bitcoins or, or the chain itself, right? The ones who are copying and finding another spot to put another record on the chain. There, yeah, there are actually two kinds of entities for most blockchains. One is the miner, which is just the, whoever it is that's processing and writing the latest entries into the ledger. Because at the end of the day, it's just a ledger. Right. It's a database. Um, miners are the people that update it. And there's a whole process to keep them honest because anybody could be a miner. So you have to protect against some criminal pretending to be like, oh, yeah, I want to help write this ledger, but then really just sending your Bitcoins to their cousin. Um, then you also have nodes. Nodes are the people that store a copy of the ledger. And also anybody could be a node. So with the case of Bitcoin, right now, there are probably something like over 10,000 different nodes all over the world. And if we wanted to, we could just fire up a laptop right now and within a couple hours download the history of the blockchain. And now we're a participant. And um, the way a fully decentralized blockchain like Bitcoin works is there's something called the consensus mechanism, which is a fancy way of saying the process by which the miners present a list of transactions that they've vetted in the same way that a title uh, insurance company will come to you and say, yeah, I vetted this real estate transaction. It's clear. And then the nodes uh, approve that. So, yep, looks like this miner did an honest job. There's other details that I don't know if you want me to get into about the money involved and the cost. But that process, we know now 10 years after Bitcoin was invented, works. It's bulletproof. No one's been able to break it, even though the benefits of doing so are now in the billions of dollars. But it has some serious drawbacks. Uh, one is it's really slow. It's not scalable at all in its current implementation. So Bitcoin can only process something like five to seven transactions a second, uh, which is not going to work if we wanted to replace credit cards someday or something. And then the other thing is, because it's so decentralized, some of the actual user experience is really harrowing in a way that would not work for real estate. For example, if I have a Bitcoin and I have the key, the private key that grants me access to it, if I lose that, and it's really just a string of letters and numbers, my coins are, that coin is gone forever. It's not going anywhere. It's just the coin itself is just an entry in the ledger. So my money's still there. I just can't access it. That's okay for money because it's kind of like if you have a $100 bill and you lose it on the sidewalk, it's gone. Uh, if you lose it in the middle of the forest, nobody else might find it, but you don't have it anymore. That wouldn't work for a house. We can't live in a world where if people lose this one password, they can no longer sell their house. So... What will probably happen as the technology actually gets rolled out is we'll have different kinds of blockchains for different kinds of applications and they will exist on this spectrum. And with something like specific title ownership, it probably will not be as decentralized as something like Bitcoin is because the way our legal system works is that whereas money is something anybody can transact without having to tell anybody else. I can give you 10 bucks right now for 
a salad and that's just between us. Real estate doesn't work that way because property ownership is so vital to so many aspects of society. Uh, and if we port real estate transactions, titles onto a blockchain, it's not like the government's not going to be involved anymore. So I would, if I had to guess, I'd say many years from now, we will have one blockchain probably run by local governments for property. It will be more decentralized than the system we have now, but not fully decentralized. It'll be more efficient. It'll be more transparent. Uh, and then in different countries, there'll be varying degrees of that based on their laws and whatnot. But then the interesting thing is title ownership is just one aspect of this process. You might have another blockchain for tracking mortgages and financing. You might have another blockchain for commercial property, investment property, so forth and so on. And are the applications strictly around tracking records, replacing the county clerk's office, or are there other ways that this underlying technology, when we look out 10, 20, 50 years away, will be utilized in ways that we don't necessarily easily see today? Yes. Uh, I think, and not just me, actually, a lot of people in the blockchain space are very excited about what we call uh, fractional ownership. Because one of the things, once you have this infrastructure set up, you could securitize anything because you the ledger is just a database and you just have to tell it what each entry represents. So in the case of Bitcoin, each entry represents a Bitcoin. Uh, in the case of a local blockchain for real estate, each entry might represent a parcel of land. But you can have the entry be baseball cards or shares of stock or frequent flyer miles. And, and this is uh, what most people think is eventually sort of the internet now we call web 2.0, uh, which is like the internet where we all interact with each other and exchange information like your Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, so on. Thanks to blockchain, we're going to have web 3.0 where now we'll interact and exchange value. So I might want to send you a Bitcoin or a digital baseball card. Uh, and this technology means that we can have a digital thing that we transact instantaneously, uh, but we're both secure in our ownership. And you can do that for, uh, you know, the, the entry into the database is just a virtual avatar of something else. And that something else could be virtual or it could be physical. So one thing that you can do, there are actually already pilot projects underway to test this out, is you can take a house. And ordinarily, a house will have one owner. But with a blockchain, you can say, we're going to create 100 tokens, each of which owns 1% of this house. And then we're going to put them on a blockchain so people can buy and sell them. So this idea of fractional ownership becomes that you could own 2% of a house. Or if you want to blow the example up even more, somebody could tokenize the Empire State Building I have no idea what it's supposed to be worth today, but let's say $10 billion. You can issue 10 billion tokens. Each one is a dollar. So theoretically, because this technology makes it all relatively streamlined and cheap to do, uh, in the future, it could be that you could say, you know what, I'm going to invest a dollar in the Empire State Building and become a point oh 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 however many zeros, 1% owner of it. When we come back, we'll we'll dig a little bit deeper into this topic of tokenization and uh, and who will be driving that push for tokenization. 
but before we do, uh, it's uh, snack time. Snack time. Which is a tradition on the show where, you know, we break bread and um, uh, just get to know each other a little bit better. Uh, what did you bring to share today? I brought strawberries. Womp, womp, womp. I say that because I think the last couple of times we had, like, pastries and chocolate bars and Donuts. all that. Strawberries, is a, it's, a, it's an interesting choice. Tell us more. Uh, well, it's, it's part coincidence because we booked this last minute. And between when I saw you, Scott, last and when we we're here today, I happened to be doing my weekly fruit shopping. <laughs> Appreciate the candor. <laughs> and I saw the strawberries. And also, I, owning partially to a previous career of mine, do try to eat healthy as often as I can. Was, what was that? I was a personal trainer. No kidding. Yeah. I, I've never been a personal trainer, but... Uh, Probably a good way to stay in shape. So you yeah. went from personal training into writing a book about blockchain? More or less, yeah. Oh, of course, that seems like a natural, <laughs> a natural sequence. Well, you have, to, you have time in between appointments, so you can really dig in. Right. Okay. I'm sure strawberries are brain food uh, in some ways. That makes sense. Well, let's dig in. Yeah, uh, these look great, and uh, we'll be right back. Are you looking to buy a home in New York City? Get more with Preview's industry-leading Smart Buyer Rebate. Seamlessly search listings on Preview's end-to-end buyer platform, purchase your home with the expert advice of a local agent, plus receive up to 2% cash back thanks to Preview's Smart Buyer Commission Rebate. Smart buyers get more with Preview. Go to previewapp.com backslash buyer that's previewapp.com backslash buyer Omid you were talking about you know fractionalization and and the early explanation of tokenization and Mm -hmm. you know that's something I find very interesting because you know when you think of real estate as a wealth creation it's historically been you know reserved for you know people with capital ready and it's tough to break in that initial sum where fractional ownership you know for lack of a better term uh, democratizes you know real estate ownership um what do you think is going to be the driver of that tokenization and adoption um it might help to think about what REITs did or have done because REITs were like a really early form of a kind of tokenization of this idea that here we have a big expensive asset. Lots of people would like a piece of it, but the minimum investment to enter the market is way too high, especially if you want to get beyond just owning your own house and actually get your hands on premium um, income generating property. So REITs were a good step in that direction because now you can go buy one share or five shares of Simon Property Group or something, and now you have a tiny, tiny slice of some of the world's best malls. Um, The limitation of REITs, though, is that legally and financially setting up a new REIT is cumbersome and expensive. So you're not going to do it for every building in the neighborhood, and there are not that many of them. Um, But you can now, once the infrastructure is a bit more in place, and once our legal system kind of evolves to catch up to it, you can take that read model and instead of issuing shares, you're now issuing tokens, as you said. But tokenization just means that you're going to take some asset and give it this tradable avatar on a blockchain or distributed ledger somewhere. 
And um, so it's going to allow for a lot more creativity because you can, you know, the blockchain doesn't care what you're tokenizing. It's, it's, it's literally a couple of lines of code. So how you go about dealing with different kinds of real estate property um, and uh, you can automate some of the aspects of it, like income generating real estate, you could have it automatically issue payments to the token owners on the same blockchain or a different blockchain. So I, I can envision a world where you might have a tokenized building and um, someone's going to have to manage it. The manager will be paid to do it by the token owners who are paying a fee or something. Uh, and then once a quarter or once a month, the manager issues a payment to each token owner of their share of the building's income for that period. Uh, and, and what's most exciting about it to me, having many friends who always talk about they wish they could access the wealth building aspects of real estate, but it's too expensive. That's when I mean, you guys will know better than me. I'd say that's probably true for the vast majority of the world's population that like they just can't afford the minimum cost of entry. But thanks to tokenization, it might get to the point where almost anybody could start with just a few dollars worth of exposure. Right. But when, when you look at this, I mean, thinking about like, if this goes, you know, the to tokenization goes off in waves, you know, while it would work for a single family home, you know, most people want to control the place they live. So they would want a majority ownership, not necessarily a fractional ownership. So right. to me, just looking at it, it seems like it's more applicable as a first wave towards commercial properties and giving people more access to that, those larger, those larger assets as opposed to, you know, pure residential. Though I feel like there's an application or, or a comparison made against like co-ops, and you know I lived in a co-op in New York City before I moved out to the burbs. Let's go Jersey, and that model is I own shares in the company that owned the building. In a way, I guess this tokenization idea has existed in varying forms of real estate ownership for a while. Now, granted, you're absolutely correct that even that model of co-op similar to what you're describing with tokenized properties means I don't have complete control over my property where I live. Yeah, you, put, you have um, a lot more you have a lot more restrictions and rules. I mean, co-ops in New York, while they, they tend to be cheaper for people, there's st stringent rules around what you can do with property. And when you think about real estate, there should be a freedom of use and ownership and, you know, um, but... But it doesn't necessarily change, you know, the, the use of blockchain to tokenize and make the accessibility of investing or buying and owning real estate may not be that far off from what we've got right now in some contexts. But perhaps the value, you know, phase one value of blockchain in the real estate industry is that it simplifies and makes it easier to get into that and, and improves upon something that is not so foreign to us right now. Yeah, I would. I think you're both right. Actually, you both make uh, astute points. I actually had not, Scott. I had not thought about the co-op example, but it's a, another good example of uh, of real estate being distilled down to shares instead of that you own shares instead of the unit. Um, Could be a topic for your second book. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and to your point, uh, the the. Uh, uh, you are right in that all the pilot projects that I have seen currently are tokenizing income generating real estate. Some of it's still residential, but it's more like a rental building. 
um where and you're right i think you're right that like you don't want to sell 60 percent of the tokens to your own house because you lose control now you're effectively just a tenant but where there might also be other applications are you might still want to sell 10 percent uh, to people that get no control but just get to participate on any upside uh, from a i have a little bit of an economics background from a purely economic point of view one of the knocks against real estate investing, especially owning your own home, is that it's an indivisible asset. So unlike your stock portfolio, where you can always sell a third of your shares to pay for college or whatever, uh, you can't really, not easily, sell a third of your house. So tokenization will enable that. And th there's also the financing aspect of it. The way things work now... Um, you go to one bank or one financing entity and you get one loan. But in the future, theoretically, you could just issue a loan pegged to your house and the loan will be a different kind of token and you can break that loan up to a hundred different tokens and you're borrowing money from a hundred different people now. I think what's interesting to also consider is, if you, th you know, we talk about kind of the, it's called the first derivative effects of tokenization of making fractional ownership possible and the financial elements, convenience elements, et cetera, of investing. But what about the second order potential effects? Like one of the other trends that we're seeing in the industry, or at least the talked about trends, is the idea of nomadic lifestyles of, not, you know, the millennials, Gen Z, those to come that are not necessarily setting roots in one place, but are living a more freewheeling lifestyle where they travel and, and live in varying places more than perhaps the generation before us have. And I'm wondering if there's an element by which fractional ownership provides an opportunity to enable that kind of nomadic uh, real estate journeyman lifestyle in which you have fractional ownership shares in a variety of properties that affords you uh, other opportunities to live in places that are not necessarily your one residence. And to the degree to which that changes the way we think about real estate in total is potentially interesting. Also sounds like a timeshare, but nevertheless, <laughs> that's what I. That's exactly. What I thought it was like a perpetual timeshare you were pitching. Felt like I was in a one of those uh, so right. sales, sales meetings. Where where is the shrimp cocktail? Come, you get a free lunch. <laughs> um, I got free strawberries, but I mean, I think that's that's a good point. Like the idea of you know tokenization is is analogous to something we know today of co ops um, yeah. and you know title insurance and is analogous to what we we're talking about before the use of a blockchain, but. Maybe timeshare is a perfectly reasonable analogy and it's got its obvious cons, but perhaps when we think about the application of a new technology creatively applied, perhaps it enables a, a new way to improve upon you know, the, the good parts and, and eliminate the bad parts of things like a timeshare. Yeah, cause if you go back to your to the title insurance idea, if title was digital, transparent, and you know publicly visible, the whole industry of title insurance would not fully go away but it would come pretty close to going away and that cost for people is not insignificant that is a great point uh, yeah and i would say a psa if you own a title insurance business now uh in the future yours will be a technology business not a service business so prepare for that um but i, I want to go back to what scott was saying a moment ago about the time shows because in a way you're right but if we can take a slightly different road to get there. Think about Airbnb. Uh, Airbnb is democratized access to 
temporary real estate, right? Is that a fair? Sounds better. Um, and, and it is, goes to your point about people who want, you, and it provides mobility. It makes a person able to move around more and get housing. Uh, and then it makes the owner of real estate able to be more flexible in terms of monetizing it. Like, hey, I'm going away for the weekend. Let me make a few hundred bucks renting out my place. Um, Airbnb is a perfect example of a web 2.0 kind of business where somebody builds a platform, a proprietary platform. People use it. And then most of the value goes to the owner of the platform. And that's true for you can think about Airbnb, Uber, Facebook, Twitter, and pretty much most of the big, great online services that we enjoy today, given the structure of the business, uh, you know, the company Airbnb doesn't do much other than providing a very nice, effective way of allowing renters and customers to interact. One way, and this is going way down the road, so this might be 20 years from now that I think blockchain technology will change our lives is it's going to completely disintermediate these kinds of platforms. Because at a certain point, you don't need Airbnb. You don't need Uber, the company. Like there are people who want to rent stuff and there are people who want to lend it to them. They just need a mechanism for interacting and being able to trust each other. That's what a blockchain does. So um, whether it's Airbnb, which is for really local kind of uh, i'm sorry very short-term quick transient kind of renting or it could be something as more like all of these businesses like the we work kind of model where it's like you need space you just don't want to commit to it for too long so theoretically like somebody can start a blockchain based uh office share where the organizing entity goes out buys a bunch of buildings tokenizes square footage and then puts it on a blockchain and then you buy some of these tokens and then because of your tokens you can be like all right next month we're going to be in that midtown location but then we're going off to san francisco for three days so we're going to get the corner there and your tokens become the currency through which all of this is done so there's a lot of these like easy to find analogies of title insurance or, or timeshares or, or or what have you that uh, perhaps are, are a little too convenient because we can deride the the world-changing potential of them by looking at the cons of those applications right now. Yeah. Title insurance is expensive and antiquated. Timeshares are sketchy. Um, but that I think we should maybe consider backing away from our kind of derogatory view of those things when we're looking at the application of the use of that analogy as it relates to blockchain because there could be some really interesting applications. Oh, yeah. I'm not knocking. Uh, I was saying that for myself. <laughs> uh, I, it, we had to get to where we are now, whether it's co-ops, title insurance, uh, or in the like with the money example, you know, a lot of the crypto coin people think they're going to take down the US dollar and all that. But like we had to get to this point first. So we should give credit where credit yeah. is due. And then we can conceive of a world where um, I don't think Bitcoin is going to replace the U.S. dollar, but we can conceive of a world where title insurance transforms to a business of what it is now, which is, I imagine like somebody being in the basement of an office downtown, going through really old records and and inhaling a lot of dust and sneezing, figuring out who owned one third, who owned what thirty years ago, 
In the future, it will be somebody who's an expert at pouring over a database and analyzing its contents. Well, you know, that actually relates to another question, which is around the kind of automations potential here, to the degree to which humans are cut out of the, or, or no longer required to do some of the work that's done today. And I know, you know, Tom, we've talked about this with other guests in the past around how, um, you know, brokers, for example, humans in the real estate process are perhaps, um, you know, being automated out. So, you know, with the Airbnb example I mean, that you offered, it's, you know, the, the, the kind of middleman marketplace, et cetera, those are maybe starting to, to move in direction of going away. Um, I'm curious if you see other applications in real estate or more broadly where by nature of having a blockchain and digitizing things that may not be digital right now, it eliminates, eliminates the need for human intervention and creates, you know, may create new industries, but also take down some old ones. Hmm. Well, yes. And, and it would have to be simultaneous. Um, but as people who are trying to build these applications out are discovering, sometimes it's easier to sit there and fantasize about the world where we automate all these different processes than it is to actually build the technology or the platform that accommodates it. And a perfect example of that is one thing Airbnb does, the, the central authority, is it resolves disputes. It mediates them. You know, someone claims the rental wasn't as it was supposed to be, or the owner feels like the renter damaged something, there's a process there. And there's like a benefit to it, which is whatever Airbnb ultimately says goes. I've never actually been a party to a dispute there. I'm not sure how it works, but I know they have a process. And I have happened to met a guy who was trying to build a decentralized Airbnb. And he said that toughest thing is trying to figure out how are we going to resolve disputes? And so we can't have like computers do it or robots. So what he was looking into, uh, what a lot of these applications up is doing is like, what if we have some kind of a decentralized, sourced out intermediate, uh, sorry, uh, dispute resolution process where it's like you have a bunch of people that are like jurors and they look at the evidence uh, and then vote. And then like, then, then becomes all these questions like, how do you find these jurors? Who are they? Uh, you can't just appoint them because that's then you might as well just have Airbnb. It's centralized, so it's like you have something. Now you need a decentralized way to pick jurors and to get them. You have to reward them for making the right decisions and punish them for making the wrong ones, probably with the use of a token. Um, so a lot of the questions that have to be answered are of of those kind of questions. Well, yeah, like theoretically, it would be nice if we could completely eliminate brokers i say this having because i've been a landlord <laughs> so um no offense to any of the uh of uh, the agents and brokers out there but i think it's like a universal experience of any landlord whereas a certain point you're like wow i'm really paying them that much money um because you're taking all the risk uh and that's might be a really good example because aside from blockchain i think me and a lot of other business people who are on the uh, owner side of the real estate business thought that the reliance on agents would go down drastically thanks to the internet. But at least personally, I would say that I have been more wrong than right on that front. Well, I think there's, I think there's a lot of newer models coming out to try to, to fix that. So hopefully uh, there's more to be fixed on the horizon. Sponsored by Preview. But uh 
I'm curious how you got into this, right? Like you, you've given the great description about the blockchain, the applications, tokenization, et cetera. Um, but you didn't go to school for blockchain. You didn't study in college. Like, how did you arrive at the point where I wanted to write a book about this? Good question. It was, it's kind of a series of happy accidents. Um, originally out of college, I had a finance background for years. I was a trader among, among other things. My friend kept encouraging me to learn about this technology. And at this point, I wasn't really in finance anymore. So I was like, eh, whatever. And I heard what most people heard, which is like Bitcoin is this thing popular among anarchists and drug dealers. And But I also happened to be her business manager at the time. So one day she called me, she's like, I need you to buy me two Bitcoin because I want to have some and learn about it. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do it. So like, you have to do it. You're my business manager. <laughs> it's like, okay. So going through that process, I had, um, I had like my first aha moment was when I signed up a account for her at an exchange, bought her the two Bitcoin and then transferred it to a local wallet on my computer. And that experience was so different than anything I had ever experienced before financially. Like this idea that I watched these coins leave the exchange and then show up on my computer. Because regular finance doesn't work that way. You have your brokers and custodians and like you don't actually ever own anything. It's just always somewhere out there and somebody else is taking care of it. And I was like, whoa, that's different, which piqued my interest. And this also happened to be right around the time of the the Mt. Gox, the biggest Bitcoin exchange got hacked and somebody stole a ton of coins. And it crashed the value of the Bitcoin itself, the price of it. And to a lot of people and people I knew in finance, they were like, see, that just shows that Bitcoin's worthless because you could just hack some company and steal it. But to me, it was like, wait a minute. If you can steal something and it hurts, doesn't that prove it's valuable? Because like you wouldn't care if somebody hacked your computer and copied your MP3 files. You still have them. Or you just go on Napster or Torrent and get them again. Not that I'm recommending anybody do anything illegal, but um hypothetically. Right, hypothetically. But I was like, oh wait, no, like and that's where I got this idea. It's digital. I just took two minutes for it to go from the exchange to my computer. But if you lose it, it's gone which means it's valuable. Um, so th this became like a hobby of mine to pay attention and learn and, and play. So like one thing I put in the book is like, I've made every mistake there is to make with blockchain. So you don't have to, uh, by doing a lot of the things that there is to do, buying, selling, interacting, getting into tokens. Losing a thumb drive. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Forgetting a password and realizing that you might be at a significant amount of money. Um, and then with the book, last year, as you said earlier, that you know, last year was the year all the hype blew up. So I started getting calls and emails regularly from people who knew I had some interest in this. And I was like, hey, can you explain this blockchain thing to me? And I gave them my little spiel and they liked it. And somebody, I don't remember who it was, was like, you should write a book. And I had always wanted to follow in the footsteps of my old high school friend, Scott Pollock, who... <laughs> Uh, has a book and is quoted in Wikipedia. Um, I thought, oh, this is actually a good excuse. And at the time, there were very few 
blockchain explainer books out. So I was like, oh, there's an opportunity here to be one of the first. Um, by the time my book was finished and published, there was like 30. But it was a good experience nonetheless. Nice. That's pretty awesome. How's the experience been having a book about a subject that few understand? And I think uh, I think you coined this phrase, you're the explainer in chief now from videos on monetary policy to blockchain? Yes. Uh, it's been... Uh... It's been very exciting. It's it's kind of like all the various things that I've done over the years have finally converged into one really useful role that I can serve for friends, people, companies. Um, and I, through this process, I've also realized that there are few pure joys in life for me more than if I can explain something to somebody for the first time and they're like, oh, I think I get it. And I guess in some ways that relies on the diverse background that you've got as, you know, you're a trader, finance, kind of Wall Street guy. You manage properties as a landlord. You yeah. have created viral videos and then have also, uh, you know, gotten kind of early into some new technology. So, like, uh feel like that gives you a sense of how the world is going to be and how to explain kind of the way it is now and how, how the future will will unveil itself yeah and i think one way you could summarize it is whether it was in my experience in finance or the real estate experience A personal training even that the, strawberries. The, actually, <laughs> the training thing actually helped me become a better teacher because my philosophy as a personal trainer was i didn't just want to tell people what to do but i wanted them to understand why i thought that was good for them to do because then people are far more likely to follow through and that skill was actually quite helpful with writing the book and everything else that I do now, like consulting and teaching. Um, with my backgrounds in trading and real estate, I think one of the frustrations that I often had, which a lot of people probably have, is the amount of friction that there is in that world. And sort of, uh, I think now that we're all used to instantaneous communication and transactions of other kinds, um, then when you like, try to do a real estate deal and you're like god i can't that was my experience at least when i first went into it 10 years ago it's like it takes so long and people still fax things it's painfully archaic even like when you go to a closing mm -hmm. nowadays for any any sort of transaction condo co-op you know it takes hour and a half two hours you're waiting on a bank there's 10 people around a table like that whole process you know could probably be done you know electronically where everybody's remote the fact right. that everybody has to come before one table right. to sign physical paperwork is is shocking. Right. As is the payment part of it. Um, they're like, oh, even rent. My tenants ask me all the time. They're like, hey, can I just pay you via some electronic thing? Like, you know, if they want to PayPal or Venmo the money. And I'm like, not unless you want to pay the fee. Um, so then there's work. A lot of the tenants now use these automated like their bank sends a payment. But even then, it's like, this is actually one of the things that attracted me to crypto coins initially was like the fact that it still takes two days to do a wire or HCH transaction in the year 2018 is a joke because all that's happening is your bank changes a couple of entries in their database. The, the sender's bank does that. The intermediary organization, like the Federal Reserve, that, that all takes fractions of a second, but then you've got to wait two days for the money. 
Um, all of which then when I stumbled into blockchain, I was like, this solves a lot of those problems. That's been, that's been super interesting. And, uh, you know, coming up, we'll, uh, get into more personal questions, uh, even beyond your, your training and explainer videos. So, uh, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, this is Vikram Iyer former advisor to President Barack Obama. Have you been opening your Twitter account or Facebook feeds or even just talking to families and friends and wondering what the heck is going on in this country? Well, it's not as bad as you think, but we're going to unpack that for you. Join me at the American Enough podcast on the Mouth Media Network as we unpack the policies, executive orders, and daily kerfuffles that are shaping not just this administration, but the modern face of America's politics. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. Omid, you gave a, a great introduction of, of blockchain and discussion of uh, you know how you arrived here. Um, but in you know the final segment, we always you know like to get a little more personal and ask questions uh, about you beyond just what you do day to day. So uh, I'm going to kick it to Scott for the first question. So you know, in addition to being my personal trainer and my blockchain explainer, I should uh, I should tell everyone that we actually go way back, back to our our high school days when we met. I believe it was through Model United Nations. That's that right. We both, um, uh, debaters on. Yeah. So I'm curious, do you think that any of our formative years experience in arguing about serious policy on whatever in a room of other high school students has uh, influenced the way you've built your, your career in real estate and training and all the other things you do? It's funny. But I, I think actually one of the most valuable life lessons I ever learned was from Model UN, just to get extra geeky on you. Uh, and uh, if you remember, like, if you when you first joined the club, people told you you had to do a lot of research and you had to write a really thorough position paper and be an expert on whatever country and subject matter you're on. What I realized at the end, I, I don't know, I did it for like two, three years. By the time you and I were racking up the trophies as partners, none of that mattered. <laughs> what mattered was that basically it was a popularity contest. Um, and you had to, cause there were, there were college kids running it and they voted and like, they're not going to remember who, whether the guy, the candidate from Syria had the most accurate policy. They're going to be like, that guy really talked a lot. So he must be important. Um, and the way you got to talk a lot was we got other people to yield you their time. So the lesson I learned from that is like, from the moment you walk into the room, the relationships that you build with the other people in the room are far more important than how objectively good or accurate you are. And sometimes the best way to build those relationships is to not play by the rules. Um, so there was like a, st a standing policy that you had to wear a tie. If you remember, you had to wear like a suit and a tie. And uh, I guess that's long enough now that I can admit that I didn't really know how to tie a tie back then <laughs> effectively. But one thing I realized is that if I didn't wear a tie, at some point I would get kicked out of the room for like the moderator would be like, you delegate from wherever, go put on a tie. And that would make me memorable to everybody else in the room. For the rest of that conference, I'd be the guy who wasn't wearing a tie uh, and got kicked out. So 
I think that's been a very helpful lesson um, in my life for all the things that I've done. Um, because the first thing that I try to do is to foster the right kind of relationships and to be remembered, not for not wearing a tie. Uh, now nobody wears a tie. But I like to be remembered. It's like, yeah, he's got something useful to offer here. And I think if you do that, you can get far in anything. Outside of blockchain, what are some of your favorite, you know, technologies right now? Like, you know, whether it's a gadget or just the overall concept that really excites you other than the blockchain? Hmm. That is a very good question. Um, we talked a little bit about the automation piece. Uh, I have a lot of interactions. Like anytime I have to call customer support at a bank, <laughs> I kind of look forward to the day where I just, there's some like uh, AI algorithm that I explain what my problem is because <laughs> I feel like it, uh, something about being on customer service calls with a bank brings out the worst in me. And I feel like A, the AI might do a better job and B, if I curse at the AI, I'm not actually being mean spirited towards another human being. So unlike most people I know who think that uh, you know we're on the verge of something horrible where like half the world's population will be unemployed because we're going to use uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning to replace all these jobs and even blockchain like a, a well thought out ledger for even US dollars will eliminate a lot of the banking infrastructure like you're not going to go to the bank and deal with a teller you're just going to pull up the app on your phone and do whatever you need to do um, I am looking forward to that because I think what actually happens in history is that technology replaces the crappy jobs that nobody actually wants, like driving a cab, and that will free up more human capital to invent all sorts of new and interesting jobs. And I would say everybody in this room here has a job that didn't exist not that long ago. Um, so I'm looking forward to that world to come. So you've built a career explaining things and teaching. Um, and with the kind of advent of new technologies and innovations, it affords an opportunity for lots of people to present themselves as experts in things that people, other people don't understand. Any, any advice to suss out who's just a BSer and, and who's got legitimate knowledge to share? And when you're learning something from somebody, you know you're learning from a credible source? I think the key part is the learning part. I uh, think my experience, uh, and I had to go through this when I was doing the research I needed to do to write the book because I had to familiarize myself with a lot of the concepts. And blockchain is so new that there aren't that many known experts. So I spent a lot of time reading through Reddit threads and watching random YouTube videos. I think you can, the people that you actually learn something from, they're authentic because I think there's something about that process between two humans that. Someone, there are people out there that are really good at BSing you about something. But at least my experience is usually after interaction with that person, if you ask me, what did you just learn from that person? I was like, other than the fact that they think they're an expert, nothing. Um, but I think anytime you have someone trying to explain something to you, if you actually feel like you became more knowledgeable, it probably means they know what they're talking about. And in, in addition to yourself, uh, who do you, you know, look up to in the industry? Who do you, you know, seek out, you know, 
their writings, their opinions within mm. you know, blockchain, cryptocurrency? Who are the you know, maybe two or three uh, you know, people you follow? Um, I have a team of what I affectionately call nerds, who are people who've actually done developmental work with this technology, who I consider vital. And they're not, the names wouldn't mean anything because they're not people of any kind of profile. But because this technology is so new and so different, getting your hands dirty uh, is so important. So and I, I'm just going to throw this other PSA out there to all your listeners is whatever your opinion is of Bitcoin or investing, I'm the last person to tell anybody what to do. But take a few dollars and play. You can read my book. You can do read um, 18 different books. Nothing will replace the experience of saying, here's a transaction. What does it mean to send the Bitcoin, receive a Bitcoin, send a token, use a token to do something with it? Uh, and I understand it's very scary. It was for me. Um, that's why it's good to start with insignificant amounts of money. And I do have at the end of my book, I have a tutorial walking through the steps of doing it safely and with best practices. Um, so uh, I trust the people that have done the development work. And then um, uh, they're, they're like these big protocols and platforms in this world, usually the leaders of those teams are uh, unbelievably intelligent, capable, creative people. So I think for anyone who's interested, if you come across, like if you, uh, once you learn what Ethereum is and how it works, then you can look at uh, Vitalik Buterin, who's the founder and creator of it. And almost anytime he says anything, I find it educational and insightful. And once you identify whatever it is, the project that you're interested in, then I would just look to the leaders of that project to learn from. Well, this, is, this has been a, a great conversation, and uh, you know, at the end of every conversation, we like to give uh, our guest uh, the opportunity for a final thought. Um, you know, it can be you know as simple as you know something that's on your mind right now. You know, thought leadership on the uh, industry, or you know, whatever whatever you'd like to share with the audience. Um, the final thought would be that I feel like every twenty or thirty years, some brand new way of doing things comes around that is both scary and creating tremendous opportunities. And I'm grateful because the invention of this technology, which I had nothing to do with, gave me a new opportunity to do things that I've always wanted to do, like write a book and become a teacher. So to anyone that has any tangential interest on blockchain and its many applications, and eventually it'll be everything, um, it's scary and it's uncertain and you're kind of on the cutting edge, but I would encourage them to consider experiencing learning about it and seeing how you can kind of join the revolution because whatever it is that a person does, whether you're like a writer or like me, if you're an accountant, a lawyer, a programmer, if you go through the initial scary part of familiarizing with yourself of this world and finding where you can contribute value, you jump many rungs on the personal and career ladder. And it's a very exciting thing to do. So I would encourage everyone to at least consider the possibility. Great. And for you know the folks that want to you know connect with you, hire you to speak about Bitcoin, um, how can people connect with you? Uh, if uh, my website is explainer-in-chief.com. So if anyone goes there, there's information about me and all of my contact information. 
Great. Well, we encourage everyone to, you know, reach out to uh, Omid uh, and definitely, you know, go to Amazon, download his book. Um, and, uh, you know, as always, thank you everyone for listening and for Scott. Bye, everyone. I'm Tom, and real estate is your business. You've been listening to Real Estate Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for this show or to become a sponsor, email us at realestatebizshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Real Estate Biz Show. That's Real Estate B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, realestateisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network and brought to you by Preview. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.